You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. And that's the title of the message tonight, is the mission of John the Baptist. His mission was, of course, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And, and his voice, his speaking was not to exalt himself or to show himself or to be seen. His ministry, of course, had a potency and was necessary to proclaim exact key things, to fulfill scriptures, to do what God had called him to do, but also to prepare that way and open the door so that when Jesus would come, the people around him and the people of the social structure of Judea at the time would recognize, would be able to know, oh, this is the Messiah. He would be the first one to declare. In fact, his whole life was built around that one function. His function was to literally point and say, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God. And what would mark the Lamb of God for John the Baptist was what the one who sent him told him as he testified himself. So the one that sent me, that is God, the one that sent me said, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descend in the form of a dove, when you see the Holy Spirit come upon that person, that is the Messiah. And you are to mark that moment, mark that, and say, this is it. And so he fulfilled exactly what all of our mission should be. In fact, the mission of John the Baptist is our mission. I like the way that he operated, even in an anointing that was not his own. Jesus said, many say Elijah will come, but if you can handle this, he said, he has come. And he said, John the Baptist, that he operated in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So his anointing that he had was ancient and old. John is just the perfect type of us. And that our job is identically that, to declare, to preach, to share, so that something else can come and take God's people where they need to be. For me, instead of marking the moment that Jesus would walk in physically, my job is to point at the Holy Spirit of God. My job is to point and bring and usher in an awakening of spirit the anointing of God's Spirit so that people can step into a new realm, a new intimacy with the Lord. And I've had the great privilege, though the honor, even as I say this, I'm dizzy in the Holy Spirit. I've had the great privilege and honor of being able to introduce so many people to my best friend, the Holy Spirit. And I feel him here right now. Spirit of the living God, we welcome you. We welcome you. All of us want to be like John. We want to point to you, Lord, and say the Lord is in our midst. God is here with us. This is the priority. This is what matters. The personality of a man is irrelevant. A man in himself, a ministry head, a pastor, leader, titles, all of that, is worthless in comparison to intimacy with you. So Lord, sweet spirit of the living God, we welcome you here. Let us all be able to declare the words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
He has anointed me. This is what we want, Lord. We want that kind of encounter. We want your spirit to operate in and through us. So tonight, Lord, as we look at the life of John the Baptist and his mission, let us glean and learn some things about what he did, what happened in his life, so that we can play that role. We want to be John's the Baptist. We want to be those that defer. We want to be those that say, we must decrease so that he can increase. So use us, Lord, to be that. I want to start by reading in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. It says, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, that moment they're there, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Here in this passage we begin uh, seeing that Jesus was an interesting thing in his relationship with John because John's function was brief. Although they were family, uh, you have to understand that they did not have Facebook, so they were not friends with each other. They, did, they could not email each other. So as their ministries diverged, they went to different places. Uh, John wanted to make sure that Jesus, the same Jesus that he had introduced on the beach, was in fact fulfilling I'm sure John prayed often for Jesus. We don't often think about something like that. How many of you have ever prayed for Jesus? Probably not. But if you consider John, John knew his place subsequent in power and authority to Christ, but he knew that he came before him chronologically. So he was an older family member by just some months, but he loved Jesus. They had a relationship knowing their roles perfectly. And this makes a lot of sense to me in, in the fact that these disciples that were with John the Baptist, they were sent by John because John heard reports. Reports were coming in about all these things that were taking place. And he wanted to ascertain if, in fact, that was the same one he connected. He wanted to connect the dots so that he could accurately state that person who did this and did that and had this miracle, that Jesus of Nazareth is the same one. He wanted to affirm, that was his whole purpose, was to affirm that that man was Messiah. And he wanted to fulfill that. And so while they're there investigating, uh, do we look for another or are you the coming one? Are you the one that is fulfilling the role of Messiah? And he said, okay, well, just look at all that you see around you. At that very moment they were there investigating, they saw these incredible things. And Jesus later goes on to say, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He made this statement about the fact that as he confesses John before the people, he wholeheartedly is endorsing his ministry. They are, in fact, endorsing one another. He's recognizing John and saying, John is the greatest guy on the planet. And then John is saying, that's Messiah. There's no, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. This guy is so wonderful. We see this mutual deference and love and concern as they're fulfilling the purposes of God. And it's very exciting to see what God intended and what he was planning to do in, in the life of both. And so as we're looking at this, I want us to um, look very closely at some key issues and some points here that I think are necessary. So Jesus had encountered the centurion's faith. Before this passage we just read, Jesus had just been with the centurion. Uh, he continued from the centurion to the widow of Nain. This was right before, in fact, as these people were coming to investigate, Jesus is raising the dead. All those things it says these, this, in the story he was there. John's disciples heard about this, probably talked to their old fellow disciples, um, James, John. You know, there were the disciples of John the Baptist turned into the disciples of Jesus. They originally were with John the Baptist, so I imagine there was still communication going between the old disciples that stayed with John. And I've always wondered about that. Uh, it would have been hard for me to do if God called me to stay with John after John said what he said about Jesus. I think I would be more like the others and I'd want to just follow Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. That day that he said, behold, the Lamb of God, and Jesus walked away, they snuck up behind him. And there's that moment that Jesus turned and said, what do you want? Why are you following me? He says, well, we just want to see where you're staying. I don't think they knew what to say. And he said, okay, I'll show you. And he went home with them or to where he was staying and they talked about things. The Bible does not tell us what, but I believe that he was talking about his ministry that was about to happen. And that at that time, he told them that they were welcome to participate. It's not written in the Bible, but I believe that. So that's, that's why later on when he meets them again, the next time you see Jesus meeting these that he had already met with, he says to them, follow me. And it says they leave the nets with the hired servants. Because I truly believe that Jesus prepared them to get things ready to leave their business in the hands of people who could run it for them so that they could go and spend this three and a half years with Christ. Jesus already knew his time would be short, but he gave them this opportunity. They responded. So you see these disciples who were with John the Baptist and stayed with John the Baptist until Jesus came and said, okay, now follow me. And that was after he went into the wilderness and was tempted, then came back and then went to his home synagogue and read the scripture in Isaiah and said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me. And he, he, of course, they didn't like it. They tried to throw him off of a cliff. It was an offensive message, but you know you're like Jesus when your messages offend people. Amen. And if you're preaching messages, 
specifically to not be offensive to people, then you're simply trying not to be like Jesus, in my opinion. And that's through the years I've said things that people do not quite like, but I preach what the Lord tells me to preach. Jesus plainly demonstrates though the miraculous power here. He confesses John and he wants to make it clear to everyone can look at John as an example. Among all those born of women, there's no greater God. So that's what, that's what we're looking at. And we're going to see seven things about the ministry of John the Baptist. These are things that we uh, can copy, emulate, or maybe we will find already that we're living. And if we're not, then we should endeavor to see these areas in our life. Let's start with number one. He was called by God in the wilderness. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Eutorea and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Aline, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. You may wonder, why would Luke, who wrote this, why is he mentioning all this seemingly superfluous information? He was triangulating a time signal here. He was making sure we knew exactly the this because of these political offices being held. We have record of this. They, they crossed in time an exact moment that pinpoints. That's why theologically we know exactly when the ministry of John the Baptist began. And so this information by Luke, Luke was, of course, educated physician. He liked giving details, and that's why he gives these details. We studied it in Bible school, and my Bible school teacher actually showed us the historical records of these political offices and showed the crosshairs. And also from this information, we also find out that Jesus was not where People think he was in December is not really the time. I mean, he just the, the reality and truth of the Bible often conflict with men's traditions, but we already know that. But here, the word of God came to John. That's my focus. The word of God came. So he was called by God in the wilderness. He already knew for a long time who he was. He knew he was special. I'm sure his mother Elizabeth often told him the stories from the time he was a toddler about that moment when Mary came and greeted and the Holy Spirit came into her and filled the baby. He knew he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's probably some of the first words he ever heard was, I remember when you were filled with the Holy Spirit. So he was educated about that. So he grew up under that. But it wasn't until the, the age of 30 plus that he stepped into that moment where his ministry came out of him. Because this is how God works. God will put his spirit upon you. He'll prepare you. He will equip you. But sometimes years will go by before the word of God comes to you to commission you. And so you just stay faithful wherever you are. But the word of God came to him. And I noticed that as I was looking at, God spoke to him about what he must do. His ministry was commenced at the mouth of God. In other words, God speaks your ministry. Man does not speak your ministry. You do not speak your own ministry. It's not just you decide. I like the old joke that an evangelist uh, said that some are called, some are sent, some just bought a microphone and went. There are some people that are self-empowered. I don't believe 
Uh, that's a good idea, I think, until we are empowered, lifted, and capacitated by God, we should just serve. But there's a moment that comes, and this is what happens to John the Baptist. I think part of the key is that they specifically say here, in the wilderness. Because I've found that when God speaks to me, I am always in the wilderness. You understand? I, I don't ever remember a time where I have been happy, content, and had everything I want around me, and God comes talking to me. In fact, he's kind of quiet in those moments of my life. Or is it that I'm mixing the cart and the horse in their order, and maybe I'm just not seeking as much, perhaps? But whatever the case, in the wilderness, we have encounters with God. In the wilderness, God is moving. I like the idea that he came down to speak to Ezekiel on a drainage canal called the Chabar Ditch. We call it the Chabar River. It sounds pretty, but it was a drainage canal. Not in the palace in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem. Not with the kings, not on a marble floor, but out warming hands around a fire with some elders that are in exile, rejected in the wilderness. Jesus was born uh, in, a, in adverse circumstances, in an adverse place, at an inopportune time. We go through this in the Bible. God visited Moses in the middle of the wilderness and with a burning bush. It's always in the wilderness. It's in the difficult times. And John was filled with the Holy Spirit before all of this happened. But time had to go by when the moment was right. And I say we should never make a move until the word of God comes to us. I say, I live by this principle, in the absence of clear direction from God, change nothing. Just stay faithful. We already have the Bible. We already have a relationship with God. Let's just be faithful in that. So we live those principles. But then when God starts speaking, when you are disquieted inside, in your wilderness, when things aren't working like you want them to work, well, you're not having the things you think or should be. You start thinking more and talking more to God, and God will speak to you. Usually comes in the wilderness. Number two, he fulfilled Scripture. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, John the Baptist did, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God so here we know that John walked in a specific fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That he was declared before he ever existed to be who he was. But I have some news for you, so were you. And that day it says that, that those who talked often one to another about the Lord, the Lord would hear from heaven and prepare a book of memorial for them. In that day that he gathers us, it will be his special jewels. I can go through all the scriptures of so many prophecies about you in the Bible. And it is our role to fulfill that scripture. And so John, actually he had a choice in this matter. We often think John or people like John or the prophets of old that they were they had no choice, that they were going to be relegated to this position no matter what. No, they had a choice. Jonah taught us that we have a choice. Now, life may corral us back into the purposes of God, 
and maybe a giant fish swallows us up and then vomits us out on a beach somewhere down the line so that we inevitably fulfill the purposes of God. But we certainly learn a lot of lessons in the, in the fulfillment of it. But here, I believe this is true uh, for all of us. We should all live according to the words of God that come from the scriptures. I think that we should consider everything in the Bible as our code book, our protocols, our standards, and that if we find things in the scripture, in the church, for instance, in the book of Acts, the way they lived and what they did, if we can see things there that do not match our conduct, then we might not be fulfilling the scriptures. But if John fulfilled the passages, that we need to fulfill the passages. We should always be reminded to seek the scriptures with the intent of walking in it. Jesus said very clearly, whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the sand. The wind's going to come, the water's going to fall, the floods will rush, and your house is just going to go downstream unless you put these words into practice. So we want to fulfill scripture all the time. The instructions for our lives are clearly written in the Bible, and we can obey or disobey those patterns and truths. We can live Scripture and fulfill the plan and purposes of God the Father for our lives just like John did. There's no reason why you can't take your place in the halls of fame of Scripture with the patriarchs and the leaders. We have this great cloud of witnesses, it says in Hebrews chapter 11. We have all these great men and women of God that have gone before us, all of them walking by faith, all of them in adversity, all of them in difficulty as an example for us to follow. And John the Baptist is one of them. Of course, we know his later demise. We're going to work our way around to that, but let's just stick to the story. Number three, he confronted religious idealism. Uh, don't worry, this is not another anti-religion message. I know you get them here all the time, but um, focusing on the idea of idealism. Uh, the word idealism just means a, a type or a concept of lifestyle that is false or wrong. It's a, an ideal, but it's not always accurate. He said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, this is a warm greeting he gives them, brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. I picture him on the beach there uh, where the water is. He's baptizing. He's working his ministry. And these religious leaders are coming out to investigate him. He was the buzz. He was fascinating. People wanted to hear. And as they came... That's exactly what he said to them. You brood of vipers, bunch of snakes, which is pretty, pretty uh, accurate. In fact, if you understand Jesus was someone who followed, he said Jesus would come after him, the one that comes after me, who is before me, he meant an eternal reference to his existence in eternity, but because he was chronologically older than Jesus, but he said he's coming after me. If he was going to prepare the way for Jesus, he had to pave an anti-religious path. So the very first thing we find him saying is criticizing the false concerns of religion, the wrong things. And this is an important part of his ministry. 
So being the predecessor of Christ, he repeatedly criticizes pretentious religion. Pure religion is undefiled before God or keep yourself undefiled and visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. That's what it says in James. It's talking about the fact that there is good religion. If religion is a set of standards and protocols, well, of course, we need to stand for something or fall for everything. But I'm talking about religious idealisms built on dogmas and these concepts, which was what Judea was full of at this time. That was the whole issue. Jesus spent most of his time dealing with this issue. And so the system of God's people had to change. He immediately begins to address that issue. There are two types of people when it comes to religious idealism. The first type accepts it as the way it is and conforms to traditionalism without always understanding it. That's most people, especially if we were raised religiously. We're, we're taught not to question. Even when we question our religious environment or we question maybe we were raised Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or whatever the religion is, a Catholic in my concern, I was raised Catholic. So what I was taught, I was taught when I started having some serious questions about that, I would talk to family and my family would tell me that's just the way it is. My, my grandmother and my grandfather had to say, and he would say, I have to use his accent to say, I was born a Catholic, I'll die a Catholic. He used to say that all the time. It was, it was, he was entrenched in exactly that religion. I don't have a problem with you being Catholic or anybody being Catholic. According to the Council of Trent that was ratified in the 1940s, I'm still Catholic. I can't do anything about it. When I was in Mexico, as you know, I've used that. People would come to me because it's a predominantly Catholic nation when I was a missionary there for 10 years. And I went and told them about Jesus. Oh, no, we, we don't accept these religions. We're Catholic. And I said, well, I'm Catholic. I was born Catholic. I was baptized Catholic. I'm in my first communion. I was confirmed Catholic. I went to reconciliation as a Catholic. All my life, Catholic. So I pray the rosary, novenas. I, I name all the tenets of the faith of Catholicism. And I said, but I'm not talking about religious protocols. I'm talking about a relationship with God. And that wall would come down. Oh, he's Catholic. And I was, and I am, according to the Council of Trent. I was just stating the fact. What did it say of Paul? He used his Roman citizenship. And in Mexico, it worked really well. And so instead of starting out with a negative stigma between me and the people, I just said, let's get past that. I was raised in that. I understand that. But I'm talking about Jesus. And one by one, one after another, many people got saved in that ministry and then later had some issues to discuss with their priest. In fact, they got, I had to calm them down sometimes because they would get very angry and go back to the priest and say, why didn't you tell us? Why? Well, it really wasn't his fault either as much as that there's, when there is a religious idealism in place, people just live that pattern. And in fact, we carry those cultural ideals even into our Christianity from our past religions. And we tend to live in that, that paradigm or that culture. I understand that, but we need to make sure that we're open to God's clarity concerning this. Because the first type is one that will conform to traditionalism without questioning it. But remember that it, religious idealism is essentially law without reason. So you abide, you abide by certain rules and regulations, even though you don't know the reasons why. It's just that's the way it is. And when I questioned things to my mother, she said, that's just the way that our family's always been this. 
I said, but I want to know why. When you start to ask, God said, come, let's reason together. He wants us to understand why we believe what we believe. What's in our heart? What's the reality? What, he's looking for those that worship in spirit and in truth, not pretense, but that honestly are open and true. And John, his ministry was built. Jesus spent a great deal of his ministry, of course, airtime in his preaching, addressing, confronting, criticizing, and remedying, very important, coming up with solutions, uh, this issue of the people of God, because Jesus loved us, and he loved the people of Judea, and he loved the Israelites. He said, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What sheep are lost in the house of Israel? He meant that they were part of the nation of Israel, but they were lost in their values. And Jesus came to help them come back to that. And Jesus faithfully went to synagogue. Jesus was an excellent Jew, by the way. And so was the Apostle Paul. They simply were open to the, the things that God would say and speak. And, of course, Jesus brought the pure reality of what God intended in the law. You've heard it said that, but I tell you that. He was always saying that. You've heard it said this and that. He was always conforming to God's purpose above that. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, John said. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So by saying that they had Abraham as their father, they believed that by simple bloodline connection or association with their religion, they were okay. And I quote R.W. Shambach, just because a cat has kittens in an oven, it doesn't make them biscuits. You can be in an environment and in your mind and in your heart, not be connected to truth at all. Although you're in the middle of the church's field, that's what the parable of the sower is all about. Parable of the sower says that a sower went out to sow the seed, right? Some fell on the road, some fell among the rocks, among the thorns, and then some on good ground. And the good ground was great, but that's only 25% if we do equal portions of the four categories of seeds and where they fell. So 25% was on good ground. Who were those Later, the disciples came, you know, why do you speak to the people in parables? He says, well, you know, I really want them to look for it. But to you is given the secrets. I'll tell you what the parable means. And he told them that the seed is the word of God. That when a man hears it, who's hearing the word of God? But people in churches and in religious groups. So the parable of the sower is applied to the church, not the world. The people who hear the principles of God, they hear the scriptures, and where is it landing? Because there's a lot of things in the Bible that do not jive with our perspectives of life, nor our lifestyles. All of that is connected to religious idealism versus real relationship with God. And so we should always seek that. We can't just say, well, I go to such and such a church. I have Abraham as my father. I'm associated with this. I go to, you know, the... Uh, this church, I, I, glow, I go to the tabernacle of the ascending holy dove church. And because of that, I get that all the time. I was talking to somebody one time, and um, I won't mention the name of their church, but I just was talking. I said, oh, you know, you know, I would love to get together. We can talk. Oh, I go to such and such a church. You know, like, oh, oh, sorry. I'm just talking, you ask me questions, and I'm answering them. People take great pride in their church group that they're in, which is good. 
I mean, if you were part of our church and you said, I go to Antioch Center for the Nations and I'm happy to be, a, that, that's good, but make sure that your allegiance is to the kingdom and not to some administration's name. God is the priority. And that's what John always pointed at. So it's true that this whole issue with religious idealism is, is important. It's because it's a replacement for a savior. Uh, religion gives you the ability to do something to save yourself. At least the lie of it is that it can. And that's, that's the whole, if you want to take the mask of it off and find Satan behind it, it's him convincing people. Same old lie. Did he really say you couldn't eat from the fruit of the trees? Oh, oh well, we can eat of all the fruit, just that one tree, or we'll die. You're not really going to die. So he wears the same mask by creating another ideal or principle that people follow. And as long as they feel comfortable in that, but you can do, if I teach you a formula, you can do A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, and be justified. Of course we're going to do that. I wish. It's not that simple. It's about our faith and our believing in Christ. Very simply, he teaches his word to us. We accept it. We believe it. He counts it unto us as righteousness. And it's a little hard to lock down exactly how that happens, but we accept it and believe it. But to do A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, that's what the Pharisees taught the people. They also taught that you don't need to respect your parents. If you come and you pay us the money that you were going to give to your parents, then we will call it a gift and you will no longer have to honor them. That was part of the Jewish tradition of the day of Christ. That's why he criticized it. Because they were finding a way. Of course, the priests would grant that absolution. Why? Because they got the money. So there's a lot of darkness in that. Number four, he warned people. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Oh, that's a heavy warning. I would hate to have an anointed prophet of God speak words like that to me. If I went to go check out his ministry, but I was an honored member of the synagogue and I was uh, closely associated with that group and I always tithed and gave my offerings and I was upstanding in the community. But I'm going to go out here and just kind of see what this guy has to say. He's a prophet. They say he's a prophet. So all of a sudden he turns to you and he tells you this. It's disturbing. Sometimes people need to hear something disturbing to provoke a change. And God's words provoke change in us. It's okay. I like being disturbed. I like conviction. I invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life every day. God, if I'm not right in an area of my life, then stir me up. Touch me. Shake me. Show me where I'm wrong. I want to be right. And this was a stern warning, but he was saying that they were in danger of being permanently removed from the kingdom and sent to hell. It says thrown into the fire. This is talking about the lake of fire. He needed to warn. People need to know that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And it seems like the gospel lately has been pulling away from making it clear that there are only these two options. But we need to make our stand. As believers, we need to make sure we constantly declare that truth. There's hell and there's heaven. You get one or the other. Well, I believe everybody has a different way. No, there's one way. His name is Jesus. But, you know, we have, no, don't take that. Always make sure you say, yes, it's going to get you in trouble. 
Yes, it's going to cause trouble for you in life. But your other option is to hide it and not want to rock the boat or disturb people by telling this truth. No, people need to be warned. Just like John the Baptist warned them, we need to make sure we can do it in love. It's just called the truth. Speak the truth in love. In religious environments, this message is omitted. Uh, a hyper-grace mentality can dangerously mask the above-mentioned truth of religiosity and how it works. And we make it easy because then, oh, God's grace is so great that as long as you're just believing in part, and see, indoctrination comes from people speaking things that we accept, but make sure that it's the Word of God. Number five, we're moving along, a couple more. He taught people kingdom values. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, "What? And what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Well, there's so much in a short period here in a few verses that he's addressing, sharing, no more greed. Don't be greedy. Make sure that you share with everyone. Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Be fair in the things If part of your life is as it is. Make sure that that's what you accept. John had such a balance. John was probably the most balanced person we can find in the New Testament, outside of Jesus, of course. And, and it starts to make sense when you hear his value system and you see his life lived and what he went through, you know why Jesus said what he said of him. There's no greater guy. This guy's amazing. I did a whole series on John the Baptist that I really enjoyed. He's no more bullying, he says. Do not intimidate anyone. Don't manipulate and control people. Uh, don't browbeat people into doing things for you. Don't, don't do that. He's no more lying, he says, or accused falsely. He's just saying upright. And it's important that we teach the kingdom principles and that we live the kingdom principles in front of everyone. No more materialism. He says, uh, be content with your wages. I, I, I know very few people that are content with their wages. Everybody wants more. Why? Why? Because you want more. More stuff requires more money. Why do you want more stuff? Because there's people around you who have more. And when you see, you want. That's called lust. We want. We want. Somebody donated an iPhone uh, 4, the old uh, with the metal edge to us to give the Cambodia. We take device, by the way, if you have old iPhones, iPads, anything like that. My wife is uh, getting those together to bring into Cambodia. She does that all the time. And so don't just throw them out, give them to us, and we can get them into the hands of people that need them. But I had that iPhone 4. I like the heaviness of an iPhone 4. And I thought, why did I ever leave this phone? I like this phone. And I realized because it's always bigger and better. You want the bigger and the better, this, that. But I see people all the time, very successful, that are using an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 4 still because it works. They're content. There are some people that are more content naturally with things are. That does not mean we should not strive to, to better ourselves, to further our careers or grow. But if you focus on other things, then God will take care of that part. These are all the systems of the kingdom and how it works. 
And that's exactly what John the Baptist was saying. But be content with your wages. I see people all the time that uh, they, on the outside they have a facade of success, but they're in debt. They're paying so much to, to have what they have and because they want it or some people just they want these things because their friends have it and they want to be a part for social standing in that community. I understand all the reasons why and I'm not here to judge anyone, but ultimately it's your fault because there's choices that we make. So you choose what you want. If you can afford it, great. Man, I want you all blessed. I want you all to have yachts so that I can go on a ride with you. I want you to have Lamborghinis so that you can lend it to me every now and then and I'll drive it around. I don't want a Lamborghini. I don't want a yacht either. There's <laughs> a lot of things I don't want. But I'm, I'm happy with what the Lord has given me and what he does for me. He's very good at it. So that's what he's just telling people, these basic things. He's giving practical advice. And then don't do this. What am I going to do? Well, then don't do this. That's exactly what we all should do to ourselves and to the people around him. Number six, he, he inspired people to go beyond him. I like this one. We know that he said, he's the one that said the famous words, I must decrease so that he can increase. He said this because his disciples were irritated that the ministry of Jesus was growing beyond their ministry. In fact, there was an exchange because at one time, John was the biggest church around. He had the biggest group, the most famous, the most exciting, everybody coming to him in the wilderness. And then Jesus comes along and it was John's fault. John's the one that says, that's the Lamb of God. Of course, people started migrating that way and went to that church. And little by little, John's church got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I imagine there's moments that he got up and they're with his disciples and they basically just had their breakfast and coffee. And is there anybody to baptize? No, not yet. Started getting a little slow at the office. You know it happened. And the disciples were not happy about that. And they went and checked out where all the people are. And they found them over there with Jesus. Because Jesus was in the same area of the waters there um, in Siloam, that, that place where they had a lot of water. So they could share your ministry over there, my ministry over here. And people went there. If people go, there's a reason. And I say the same thing about churches, ministries. If people want to go, fine. And just, just go. I, I cannot receive anything other than what the Father gives me, John said. And I think it's such a healthy view of all these things. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, that's interesting. They thought he might be Messiah. They thought John must be the Messiah because he acts like a Messiah. He looks like a Messiah. He talks like a Messiah. He smells like a Messiah. <laughs> He's so Messiah-like. You think maybe he's the Messiah? John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Of course, he's talking about the cleansing force of the ministry of Jesus. And when I say cleansing, Jesus would purge his own followers. 
hours. That famous message, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Huh? What are you, what are you talking about? Expecting him to say, well, they're spiritual words. But he didn't. He said, no, unless you really eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. That's sick. This guy's twisted. And it says nobody followed him anymore. Imagine if you preach a message in your church and just everybody, nobody can handle it. It's just too weird. That's just the strangest me- I'm sorry, I'm out of here. And you all walk away. Jesus didn't care. He didn't care. He's like, bye-bye. See ya. And he turns and all that were left were 12 guys. He says, so what about you? You know, go join them. I don't care. Go. Bye-bye. See ya. Peter said, no. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Because they knew completely well that what Jesus was speaking were spirit words about spiritual concepts and ideas. They were not confused at all. Isn't it interesting? Out of thousands, there were only 12 that were not confused about that. And they were not offended by what he had to say. John just inspired people to follow. Go. I indeed baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And believe me, his message is going to be strong. He's going to purge and clean. He's come in the clean house. He's going to braid whips and turn over money changer tables and drive out people that are buying and selling in the house of his father. The zeal for his father's house is going to consume him. They're going to question him. By what authority are you doing this? And this is exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus would use John the Baptist again. Everybody loved John. Everybody loved John the Baptist. And the, and the religious leaders knew it too. So, so he, they said, what authority? Okay, you tell me this and I'll answer you by what authority I do this. Uh, uh, what about John the Baptist? Was he of God? They looked around at the people because they knew if they dare speak against that prophet, the people are going to stone them. Because everybody believed in John. Well, we're not telling you. And he said, well, I'm not telling you either. He walked away. Jesus was there to cleanse, purge, purify with fire. All-consuming fire. I welcome the consuming, purging fire of God in my life. I want God to crush my bones when it's necessary. Like the psalmist said, you, if you're crushing me. I don't know if I can take it anymore. God, please make me what you want me to be. And John inspired people. He told him, go beyond. There's greater. There's more. And he stated this. I have to increase. Uh, no. I must decrease. We don't need to grow our ministry. We need to let God do what God wants to do. I can't receive anything that doesn't come from God. When his own disciples met Jesus, they decided to follow him instead of John. That's the day that, that they went and left. Oh, we're going to go with Jesus, okay, John? Yeah, bye-bye. Have fun. We don't need to run after people. I say I talk to pastors a lot around the world in different places, and they're so worried. They're trying to keep people in their church. And I said, you don't need to worry about keeping people in church. Just preach what God told you to preach. If they're supposed to be there, they'll be there. If not, they're not. But don't punish the ones that come for the ones that don't. Just preach what God tells you to preach. So we can learn a lot about leadership in the kingdom versus the world's leadership. Uh, a leader is not meant 
for a lifetime in the kingdom, but for a path made to lead you to another level of understanding and learning. Uh, recently, those of you who are my friend on Facebook, you may have seen this huge rant of thank yous. I went through every person in my history from a certain time back thanking them. Thank you. I named them Norman Richmond, Keith Bob Simple, all these mentors I had in my life, all these. I just felt it's because I, I, I come across some information that, that kind of made me think, wow, I need to make sure that I express this to this history behind me and make it clear. And so I wrote down those things to those people and I brought back a lot of great memories, great ideas. And I realized that, wow, I have been handed down from person to person to person and person. How as a pastor would I keep? It makes no sense at all. And I've seen so many thousands come and go. But if I had just that John the Baptist moment, See, it's easy to say, God said, I'm going to be like John the Baptist, but can you accept it when it's like this? Can you accept it when you will always be a stepping stone? I say, step on me. Use me. That's what I'm here for. Let it be. I love the core. The core is basically a church. If you ever come to the program, it's a church, but in fact, it's just probably the most anointed church you'll ever be a part of. And it lasts just for a season, three and a half months. I'm sorry, two and a half months, almost three months. During that time, people are radicalized for the right principles of God. They're caught on fire from heaven, and they go on. A lot of them I never see again. I'm fine with it. Um, to be real honest, I've become so comfortable. When they go on, I forget often their names. I'll forget them. I mean, I spend three months of my life with them, six, seven hours a day, focused on them, traveling with them, doing it. But then later, sometimes one month later, it's like, what was that, uh, what was that uh, guy's name? You know, the one that came, I forget. I have to ask Caleb. Caleb remembers all the names. The kingdom can best be compared to a school with progressive grades and levels. Also, there are exams with those levels. And you have to pass those exams to get to the next level. If you find yourself with stuck in one place with one leader and one teaching flow and one tutoring that's always there. Maybe you've not passed the test and you haven't progressed on to the next level. You say, what are you telling us, Pastor? You want us to go to a different church? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, make sure that you hear what God is speaking. Finally, this is it. Number seven, we end with this. He suffered for the truth. Nobody wants to hear this, but he did. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. And you know that he stayed there until his beheading. So what do you do with that? Oh, we want to be in the ministry. We want to do what God wants to do. Why? Because you'll only be blessed. John the Baptist is the greatest guy that ever walked the planet. The only one better is Jesus. Jesus was crucified. John was beheaded. So what do you get for all that you give to God? There's a lie out there that says only good things will come back to you if you do good. No, that's not true. Only through much tribulation do we enter the kingdom. And the, the, this is the issue about this. For all that John did, to be faithful to God, his earthly reward was 
imprisonment and subsequent execution. So do we serve God and accept Jesus for earthly rewards or for eternal rewards? Of course. Because yes, there will be life in abundance. We will be blessed. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But people are more concerned with the things added to them than they are with the kingdom and the righteousness. And they use that as a reason to get those things. The motivations can be incorrect. So why do we serve? Some may try to lure people into the kingdom with promises of prosperity and success, but the honest truth is that the kingdom teaches eternal values above all. And it tells us to not value what we can see at all and only value what's invisible. And that's exactly what John did. John stayed true, stayed focused all the way. When they came that day to take his head off, I think he was relieved. I think in that moment, he thought, finally, okay, let's get sober. Because he knew I'm going home. Let's just get it done. That very moment, they took his head off and he ended up, before he blinked his eyes and he was in paradise, high-fiving Abraham inside of the earth, in the heart of the earth. He was there because the, the door was not yet open to the eternities, so he waited down there. I'm sure they talked. He met actual Elijah. That would be fun, right? He, he would meet the, the very one. Hey, I got your anointing. Well, I had it. It's up there now. Somebody else is going to get it. How many of you want the anointing of Elijah? Amen. Why not? Jesus. So there will be earthly benefits to our life, of course, as we serve God. And he does say, whatever we give up, whatever we sacrifice, it'll be given to us even a hundred times over. So we know that's a fact. But I'm saying, watch your motivations. Embrace the fact that you might do all that you can for God and your only reward will be people hating you, ridiculing you, rejecting you, and even murdering you. I'm okay with that. I, I accept that. Because unless I'm willing to take up that cross and follow him, I can't be his disciple. Be prepared for the worst and everything is a blessing. Learn and grow about eternal values and then God will take care of the rest. Amen? So these are the things we saw very simply. I love looking at his life, the mission of John the Baptist, because it is supposed to be our life. Called by God in the wilderness, listen to his voice. He fulfilled scripture. That's what we need to do. We need to live the word of God. What it says was, let's live it. Let's show people. He confronted religious idealism. Yeah, don't, don't, you don't need to accept, don't just accept traditions because they're traditions. You'll end up upon to some religious group's agenda or to some man's control. Some, beware of the doctrines of the Pharisees. Beware of the doctrines of men. He warned people. It's good. Let the word of God warn you and you warn other people. He taught people kingdom values. Yeah, live the simple practical beatitudes. Live the simple sermon on the mount, sermon from the boat. The three or four times Jesus actually has a recorded sermon in the Gospels. Just I was studying it today in the Chinese congregation. It was so great. Kingdom values. He inspired people to go beyond him. Don't get stuck on one thing. Just keep moving forward, moving forward. I, I, if you like me that much and we're together in ministry, we will walk side by side, but we are team as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We go together. 
I'll be a part of your ministry. I'm ha in fact, I have disciples whose ministries are beyond mine. I love going and working for them. And I do when I go to Mexico. I go work for Pedro Vargas in his church. I go work for the church in El Coloso that we planted there. And I don't go in there saying, I am the great apostle. And I No, I go in there submitting as I do in the churches of all my disciples. I, have a lot, I can name at least 50, 60 churches that have come out of my ministry that are far greater than my ministry. <laughs> Good for them. No greater joy does, does a father have than his children be blessed. Amen? He inspired people to go beyond him. He suffered for the truth. Lord, thank you. Thank you for suffering, Lord. Thank you for difficulty. Thank you for trials. We know that you will never leave us or forsake us. You're always with us. You always protect us. You guard us. And you're bringing us forward. Thank you for the example. The example of John the Baptist. What a beautiful, shining example of what we need to become. What we need to live. What we need to be. Even if it means when it's all said and done, our only reward is eternal. In fact, that would be better. In fact, Lord, that's what I ask for. Because the things here on earth, whatever rewards I get here, I can't take them with me. But if I store my treasure in heaven, those things will wait for me when I arrive there. Lord, help us all to have a renewed mindset concerning our eternalness. This is just a vapor that we're living in. A very short period of time. We bring our attention and our focus to the kingdom. We bring our hearts to the kingdom. Jesus. Jesus.